Welcome to the official podcast from mycreditstatus.co.za. We will be introducing you to credit experts who will be providing valuable insight and advice from your financial health to improving your credit status and score. Your host for the show is Laura Palmieri. Hello and welcome to My Credit Status Podcast. Today we are extremely privileged to have on our show Nikki Campbell as our guest. Nikki Campbell graduated from Rhodes University, being awarded the Jutta Prize for the best law student in South Africa. She completed a Master of Philosophy degree in Criminological Research at Trinity College, University of Cambridge in the UK. Nikki is seen as one of the leading consumer law experts in South Africa, having written extensively on both the National Credit Act and the Consumer Protection Act. You can contact Nikki at www.legalrights.co.za or on 011-616-2665. Today we'll be discussing how to fix your credit report and improve your credit worthiness. Welcome Nikki and thank you for being on our show. Thank you, Laura. Okay, let's start off our very first podcast for my credit status with one of the many questions we have for you today. Nikki, can you briefly explain to our audience what exactly is a credit score and what is the impact of a negative credit score? Okay, a credit score is literally an invention by the credit bureaus. An invention in that each credit bureau computes its own credit score for a particular consumer using its own methodology. Factors such as uh, the consumer's payment history, how you've conducted your accounts in the past, how you're currently conducting your accounts, are factors that the credit bureaus use in computing the scores. Therefore, you'll seldom ever find um, a consumer with the same credit score, say, from TransUnion and from Experian. There's often divergent numbers. Hence, when you're often asked, but my score is, say, 600, what does this mean? One often cannot answer that because it depends on what factors the credit bureau has computed. Because you may have a good credit score according to a particular credit bureau, but you may find you're still not getting credit because perhaps there's other negative information which hasn't been factored in that particular score. I always often advise the consumer, do not focus too much on what your credit score is, as in being a number, because it varies from credit bureau to credit bureau. Rather focus on the actual information that's contained in your credit report, because that's typically what potential credit providers look at, is the actual information, factual information in the credit report. But you may be told your score is too low, generally, and that may be confusing, you know, but um, yeah. that's often just a general response to say, look, there's some negative information on your report. But I actually think, Nikki, that's a very important point that you mentioned. Uh, we all concentrate so extremely on the credit score, but we actually we, we neglect the actual negative information, like you mentioned, which can have an impact regardless of how high your score is. Correct, correct, yes. That's, that's very informative. Okay. Now, as a leading consumer law expert, can you briefly explain the types of negative information consumers encounter with their credit reports, for example, late payments, judgments, etc.? Okay. What we have is we've got different categories of information. The National Credit Act 
actually regulates the type of information that is recorded on a consumer's profile. So they set categories of negative information. Let's start off with judgments. Judgments stay on your credit report for five years. After five years, they're automatically removed, irrespective of whether you've paid up the judgment or the judgment is still outstanding. We call that the data retention period. So judgments after five years are deleted by the bureaus. If you want the judgment removed before the five-year period, you can't wait for its automatic removal, then you have to pay up the judgment. We saw the credit amnesty kick in uh, in 2016, which did away with the need to rescind paid-up judgments. What we had before the credit amnesty is that if you paid up your judgment and you wanted it off before the five-year automatic removal period, you had to instruct an attorney to rescind the judgment, okay? The credit amnesty did away with that need, um, presumably because it was simply too expensive or unnecessary for consumers. You know, you've paid up your judgment. Now you must still apply to court to rescind it. It's additional legal costs. So now if you've paid up your judgment, you just need a paid-up letter to verify that the judgment's paid up and the credit bureaus are legally obliged to remove it within seven business days of receipt of that letter. So, yes, Amnesty made headway with removal of negative information. Yes, no, that that's actually was a carrier. Yeah. yeah, in addition to in addition to judgments, uh, we've got default information, also known as adverse listings. Before the Amnesty, this information would stay on for two years if it was of enforcement action. Um, or it could stay on for one year if it was subjective, if it was a subjective listing, i.e. handed over, etc. Now, with the amnesty, if you pay up your account that's listed as a default, the credit bureaus must remove it. Before the amnesty, yes, they would only update it to paid in full. And you would still have to wait the balance if it was one year or two years. So you'd have this default, but it shows paid up in full which didn't really work because some creditors would still say, look, you've defaulted in the past, or be it now that it's paid up, you're still at credit risk. So today what we're seeing with default information, with default information, it's getting removed once it's paid up. You know, you don't have to have this um, score following you, or, you know, the fact that you've defaulted in the past, is still showing, etc. Now, obviously, it's removed. We also get payment profile information known as account information listings. Um, this stays on your profile for up to five years. Now, typically, it's not necessarily negative information. If I have an account and I'm paying it well, etc., it's still on my mm. credit reports because payment profile is showing my historical accounts and current accounts. It's basically showing my credit exposure. So yes, I may have five accounts in my name, and they're all up to date, and this reflects under my payment profile. The minute I default on a payment, I skip this month, I can't make payment, etc., then what happens, um, I get a flag on that particular account in my payment profile. It will show 60 days in arrears. If I don't remedy that next month, it goes to 60 days in arrears. You know, yes. and that can have a negative impact because, say, in three months' time, now I settle my arrears and I perhaps even pay up that account. And I think, well, I've solved the problem, um, I've settled this account, etc. But now the fact that I've been in arrears previously with this particular account can show for up to five years. Wow. You know, depending on the credit bureau. Yeah, so that can be taken into account by some creditors. It depends on the creditor's scoring methods when you're applying Correct. for credit. Some creditors won't factor that in. They'll say, well, she 
uh, defaulted previously, you know, missed payments, etc. But we see the account is paid up or we see the arrears are settled, we'll extend credit because the affordability is there. But some creditors may say, no, um, this historical um, information is taken into account and factored in. Understand. So, so basically, at the end of the day, the consumer really has a responsibility to make sure that their accounts are up to date. Rather negotiate then a lower payment than actually missing out on payments and going into the arrears status of like sixty or ninety days. Yes, that, that's preferred. Okay. Than just missing payments. Absolutely. The other question we get asked a lot is, what can a consumer do if they receive a summons for payment on an overdue account? Okay, firstly, you should check if the debt that's been claimed is a valid debt. I say first check if it's a valid debt, i.e. it has not prescribed. Because obviously accounts prescribe, we've got the defense of prescription. If you have not made any payments for a period of three years, okay, yes. and the creditor has not taken judgment, the account prescribed. So you may be receiving a summons, whether it's in your, it's affixed to your door, whether it's the sheriff that serves it on you personally, but maybe the account has prescribed. Maybe you find I last paid this account four years ago. So you, you could possibly have a defense. Yes, you haven't paid the account, but you are not legally obliged to pay the account because it's been a lapse of three years. Because oh, really? to rate prescription, you've obviously, it's got to be a period of three years you haven't paid the account. So you could obviously enter an intention to defend um, on the basis that it's prescribed. If the account has not prescribed, i.e. you've paid it in the last three years, then the summons is valid because um, if, if you do know the account, you know, and it is an account you've had, etc., then what you could do is contact the attorneys that are listed mm -hmm. on the summons because the summons will display the attorney's details. details yes. It's pointless speaking to the sheriff trying to arrange payments with the sheriff or disputing the claim because the sheriff is just a messenger of the court. You That's have true. to obviously go back to the creditor or the creditor's attorneys. If you cannot negotiate a settlement amount, you know, most creditors are amenable to a lump sum payment, even if it's reduced payment in settlement of the date. But is it up to them though, that, Nikki? Uh, is it their choice though, to, whether they grant you a settlement or not? It's it, at their discretion. Yes, it's at their discretion, Laura. Okay. They, they've got to decide. You know, sometimes a creditor will look at it and say, look, it's a large amount. You know, obviously, the larger the debt that's been claimed, the more amenable they're likely to be to reduce settlement amount. Okay. And given your circumstances, maybe you've just gotten unemployed and you've got savings in reserve, or I've seen some clients who are retrenched and get a payout, and they negotiate favorably with creditors, reduce settlements, you know, because they put forward, I've yes. been retrenched, um, if I can't afford this full settlement amount, but I can give a lump sum payment of X amount. The creditor is more likely to accept it given the circumstances. But like you said, Laura, it's at their discretion. They are not obliged to discount the amount, but they may just. Okay, well, that's good so to know. So if you're receiving the summons, yeah, so if you're receiving the summons, check, is it valid? If it is valid, try and negotiate a settlement amount. If you don't have a settlement amount ready, 
then try and enter into a payment arrangement, even propose, I'll sign an acknowledgement of debt. If you stay legal process, if you don't continue with the judgment, you know, you don't want that judgment yes. on your record. Obviously, once again, that's also at their discretion, whether they're going to entertain your proposal, but they may just, if it's a meaningful um, proposal, say, yes, X amount, we will set payment of this amount, and then you proceed to make the payment. And as long as you stick to those terms, they'd be happy with that? They should be. I mean, yes. if you've got it in writing, I always say, get it in writing, because if it's just a verbal agreement, you've got no proof. I've seen some clients who say, I entered into a telephonic arrangement, oh. I've got the summons, I phoned the attorneys, I spoke to a female or I spoke to a male, I can't recall the name. You don't have any proof. So if you get the summons, give them a call, find out who's handling this account. Can I have the contact person's email address uh, or fax number? Detail any communications in writing. Just in case it proceeds with judgment, later you want to reverse the judgment for whatever reason, you've, you've got, got everything in writing. Absolutely makes sense. That's actually very good advice on that one. Now, a very popular question, Nikki. Is it really possible to repair a negative credit score? <laughs> um, to a certain extent. I mean, let's keep in mind what we said at the start, that the credit score is computed by each credit bureau. So the fact that you um, settle your judgment, you pay up your judgment, if that's what's on your profile, will improve that score with that particular credit bureau. It will improve your general credit worthiness. Yes. If you pay up that default that's listed, it will improve your credit worthiness. You catch up your arrears. They, yes, we've seen that it will leave a trail, the fact that you were in arrears previously with your account's information. But um, you settle the arrears. It does improve your score. So, yes, you can improve your credit score, pay your accounts regularly. That's a start if you're able to. Yes. And if you had the misfortune that at one point you couldn't pay your accounts regularly then um, and you want to now remedy it, yes, there are means. You need to start, obviously, contacting the creditors, negotiating repayment, because all of that, once settled, will reflect positively on your credit report. Yes, I understand. I also think consumers, to a degree, should be also responsible in the sense of actually keeping up to date with their credit report and score and, and checking on a regular basis to see any changes, That's right. That's right. notifications. You know, the average consumer sees it as a once-off, once a year, they'll apply for it and they'll leave it at that. But there's so many other variables that can happen in the process, like ID theft, etc., etc. Yes. It's good to monitor your credit reports, you know, regularly to see if anything is changing. Yes, that's correct. That's why we highly recommend the consumer who has had a problem or is busy trying to sort out their score to actually get a, their credit reports on a regular basis. Yes, that is advisable, yes. Okay. What can a consumer not obtain credit whilst under debt review? Why, sorry, my apologies. Why can a consumer not obtain credit whilst under debt review? Um, once you apply to go under debt review, as soon as you've submitted that application, even before your debt review application is accepted, because let's remember you can apply today, but doesn't mean you're technically under uh. debt review, because they must still assess your financial circumstances to see are you truly over indebted. But as soon as you've submitted that application, the debt counselor is obliged to notify the credit bureaus because okay. you are potentially over indebted. And that flag prevents you from getting credit. It doesn't mean, I mean, a creditor could definitely still extend credit to you, it's, it's conceivable, but 
the predator is likely to not extend credit because that could be seen as reckless credit. Yes, because, correct. Um, you, at, at a later stage, you could have alleged, look, I'd applied for debt review, I was over-indebted. So typically you're finding consumers under debt review do not get credit irrespective of the affordability. Yes, that makes sense actually. It would be irresponsible. True, it would be irresponsible, possibly reckless. I agree. Now, can a debt review flag be removed from a consumer's credit report even if they have not paid up all their accounts? Yes, it is possible. The first instance when it can be removed is where you're entitled to a clearance certificate. A clearance certificate is issued free of charge by the debt counsellor. Oh, wow. And it's issued where you've paid up all the accounts under debt review or you've paid up all your accounts but you still have a home loan that's outstanding. Then obviously you, that's first price because the debt counsellor must issue this clearance certificate within seven business days of you paying up all your accounts and it's done at no cost to the consumer. Oh, now, that's... if you do not qualify for clearance, yeah, sorry, Laura. No, 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 carry on, yes. Yes, if you do not qualify for a clearance certificate, then you'd have to do a court application to be declared not over-indebted or to rescind your debt review order. What we're seeing in our country is yes. these court applications are being granted um, in most courts, but we're seeing some courts not granting it. We're seeing some judges questioning the application. You know, it's like anything mm. in law. It depends. Hi, Nikki, you there? The application. Okay, now that I understand, that actually makes sense. Okay. What legal obligate options are available to over-indebted consumers and consumers with poor credit scores? Okay, regarding options, I take it we're referring to options to deal with the actual over-indebtedness and not necessarily to improve the credit reports. Because yes. obviously if you're over-indebted yes. and you have a poor credit report, there's not much you can do to improve it. I mean, if you find companies that are saying we can improve your score without you having to service your debt, it's likely to be a scam. To Absolutely. Be okay. So if you've got, yeah. So if you're over indebted and you've got a poor credit report, there's not much you can do from a legal perspective. But obviously, there are legal options to give you relief. You know, you can possibly look at debt review as a solution. Yes. You shouldn't be looking to get credit. I mean, if I'm over-indebted and I have a poor credit report, obtaining more credit is possibly not in my best interest. I may want to get a debt consolidation loan, et cetera, yes. to think, okay, maybe this will solve my problem because I've got too many accounts. Maybe if I consolidate my debt with one loan, this is the solution. Yes, it could be a solution. But then do have a look at the interest that's been charged by a credit provider who's willing to grant you a consolidation loan given your poor credit report. You may find you're not solving your problem in the long term. Maybe short term you think, okay, now I've reduced the number of creditors. I've consolidated my debt. I only owe one credit provider as opposed to paying 10 separate credit providers. But um, maybe it, it comes with a price, interest rate, etc. If it is a favourable interest rate, then perhaps debt consolidation could be an option, but it's not always the option. Exactly. Each, each, each situation is unique, and like you say, they should actually look at the terms that are being offered, the interest rates. Yes. 
because you may see it as a solution and then you find <laughs> I've just signed up for a credit agreement with a much higher interest rate. I was better off paying my creditors, maybe negotiating, reduce informal payment arrangements. Let's yes. remember debt review is not always an op necessary. You can also approach your creditors if they're willing um, to propose reduced payments, present your financial circumstances. This is my income. These are my essential monthly expenses. I can afford this amount. So you may have an informal arrangement. I always prefer to encourage consumers to look at that informal arrangement because you can often achieve that arrangement with an attorney's intervention not necessary. So i.e. you're not paying an attorney for doing debt settlement negotiations, you're not paying a debt counsellor for fees, you're reaching agreements with your creditors informally. Absolutely. Where possible, that's the first option. Absolutely, that's very good actually, highly recommended. Okay, now how long does negative information remain on a consumer's credit report? Okay, uh, the National Credit Act, we have a regulation, a regulation 17, that sets out the data retention periods. It basically, if I can give a quick summary, because yes. there's uh, several categories of information, but judgments automatically deleted after five years, um, yes. adverse information after one year, um, administration orders after five years, before the credit amnesty, and National Credit Amendment Act, admin orders used to stay on for 10 years. Wow. But we saw it change. They re yeah, they reduced that to five years, you know. So that was good for people under administration. Sequestration orders also used to stay on your report for 10 years, but that changed recently. It's now five years. After five years, a sequestration order is automatically deleted. Um, payment profile, like I've discussed, yes. I mean, you, it will stay on as long as you have that account. Absolutely. But yes. um, negative information, if you miss payments on your accounts, that will stay on for 24, to, 24 months to five years, depending on the credit bureau. The, okay, yes. Well, actually, there's been a lot of changes then in the last few years. Yes, all in favor of the consumer to try and obviously give the consumer access to credit to prevent one having to seek assistance with credit repair. You know, obviously creditors must still conduct assessments. Absolutely, but, um, yeah. yeah. you're right. There's been a lot of changes to try and improve access to credit. Absolutely. Well, that's good to know. Now, when can a consumer legally refuse to pay an account? Um, you can legally refuse to refuse to pay an account if it's not a valid account. We touched on, you know, the consumer having to check the validity of an account. Yes, that's correct. Is it a valid account, etc. So basically, that's the biggest defence that we've seen in our law. The National Credit Amendment Act actually updated the National Credit Act to prohibit the collection of prescribed accounts. Before we had this amendment inserted into the National Credit Act, um, you could, a, a creditor could collect on a prescribed account, and if you didn't know the defense of prescription and you started making payments, you are deemed, you were deemed to have interrupted prescription and you were liable. But now because the collection of prescribed accounts is specifically prohibited, if you start paying as a layperson, you don't know your account is prescribed, etc. Yes. you haven't heard of prescription, but later <coughs> you learn, I shouldn't have paid the account because it had prescribed, you can actually still raise the defense of prescription. And what is interesting, I've seen some consumers with big major um, creditors, 
the big banks, etc., yes. the credit provider, where they started paying a prescribed account and maybe they came to us or they read up on prescription on the internet, etc., and they realized it's prescribed. And they raised that defense, and I've seen creditors refund consumers oh, really? the payments they've made. Because, yes, because it's now unlawful to have collected upon it before we had this prohibition in the Prescription Act. Wow, that's interesting. But now we actually... Yeah, but now we actually have it codified in our National Credit Act. So if it's a prohibition and yes. you've collected as a credit provider, you've done something unlawful. So we've seen, the, as I said, some of the major banks refunding consumers where they collected on a prescribed account or a consumer paid. And they even give you a letter to say um, this account or debt is extinguished by the defense of prescription. So oh. that is the biggest um, defense available to the consumer to say you don't have to pay an account. Obviously, if you're over-indebted, you don't have to pay the account. You can't be in prison for that, etc. If you finance, it's impossible to pay it. Then obviously now you start looking at is debt review an option, is sequestration an option, um, what are my options? Absolutely. But obviously, that's if you develop debt. Very interesting. Now, let's to, to round off our podcast, our last question is, what can a consumer do if they cannot afford to pay their accounts? Um, if you cannot afford to pay your accounts, always consider informal arrangements, negotiating informal arrangements with your creditors. First prize, that you would be You will be surprised. That will be first prize because yes. you're going to cut out all the other costs of engaging attorneys, engaging debt counselors, etc. And many creditors are amenable to informal negotiations if they're realistic. Yes. If the creditors um, refuse um, the proposed payments, etc., then you may want to consider debt review. That may be an option, option or yes. you may, if it's not, if, if debt review is not an option, because let's remember with debt review, you've got to have a surplus after your monthly expenses are deducted. That's you've correct. got to have a surplus that would enable you to make a meaningful monthly payment to your creditors. You can find debt review won't work for some people because maybe you are so over-indebted that after your basic monthly living expenses are deducted from your monthly it. income you find you've got a negligible amount left and creditors don't want to accept that under debt review, then maybe you're going to have to consider sequestration. That's the most extreme um, option, Scenario, but yes. it does give relief to those yeah, it does give relief to those people who are so over in debt and just want to write off, in inverted commas, their debt. You know, you've got to pay 20 cents in the rand, which is basically 20% of your total debt. Okay. But then you stand to lose possibly any home, if you own a home. If you have a car under finance, you may lose the car. So it's, sequestration is suitable for some over debt consumers, not for all. Yeah. Very interesting that actually. But what I realize now, there are actually a lot of options to the consumer that is available to assist them in, in their various situations, whether it's to pay off debt, whether it's to, to, to improve their credit score. And at the same time, besides getting your credit report, you've got access to, like your company, that provides invaluable legal advice on this particular topics. Yes. Now, we do advise consumers... Um, Free of charge, I mean, sometimes the consumer can't even afford legal fees, Laura. You know, oh, so yes. if we are going to try and assist somebody, you've got to make sure you're going to give meaningful assistance. 
sometimes it's just giving literally counseling to somebody. You know, if you can't afford to pay 20 cents in the rand to your creditors over time, you can't afford debt review, then I often say to the consumer, then do nothing, simply do nothing. If you've got no assets registered in your name, um, you don't own a car. Anyway, that seems to, we've rounded up all our questions for today and it's really, really been very informative. And once again, thank you, Nikki, for taking the time out of your busy day. You've really provided us with some valuable information that will definitely assist our consumers. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for having the interview. And I hope we can invite you back again and we can discuss further topics on yes. credit reports. Yes. Thanks, Laura. Thank, thank you, you very much, Nikki. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to My Credit Status Podcast. Make sure you tune into our next show where we will continue to provide you with valuable information about your credit health. We value your feedback, so we would love it if you can rate and review us on iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can be alerted as soon as a new episode is live. Visit mycreditstatus.co.za.